they all sort of realize there's plenty of need out there. We're not going to run out of people that need help and people that want to help them. I think that's one of the big differences you see with, and not always, but generally in, in nonprofit versus for-profit, right? No one's talking about their market share of the fiscal okay. sponsorship sector because there's an infinite need as far as we know. And everyone knows that the better they get at this, the more they can do, the better. It's not to the detriment of any other organization. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hi there, Looking Forward listener. That was Andrew Shulman speaking about the somewhat underground world known as fiscal sponsors. I say underground because few of us really know anything about it. Hey, until I spoke with Andrew, I really didn't have any idea about what it was. Now I do, and I believe you will too, after listening to this episode. In part one of this two-part series, looking forward episode number 99, Andrew is going to tell us what fiscal sponsors do who they do it for, how the business of fiscal sponsorship has evolved, how many fiscal sponsors there are, and what kinds of projects they take on. Now, without giving anything else away, let me just say that if you're someone who's looking to do something good for the world, getting involved with a fiscal sponsor or the organization it is assisting may be just the perfect opportunity for you. Whether you are a job or career seeker, freelancer, entrepreneur, investor, or nonprofit organization. Now let me tell you just a little bit about our guest expert, Andrew Shulman. Andrew Shulman is the founder and a principal at Shulman Consulting, America's only consulting and advisory firm exclusively focused on the nonprofit fiscal sponsorship sector. Shulman Consulting guides dozens of clients. We're talking about fiscal sponsors, and sponsored projects, large and small, in overcoming a variety of challenges. Shulman Consulting combines Andrew's nonprofit leadership experience with his background in the for-profit sector to bring an analytical approach to problem solving. Andrew has the ability to find solutions that account for impact, equity, and efficiency. You'll find more about Andrew, his business, and the book he recommends about fiscal sponsorship by visiting www.jeff-ostroff.com. Well, hi, Andrew. Welcome to Looking Forward. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you. You're involved in something that I find very interesting, and that's because a lot of my working life has been spent either working for entities that could be considered nonprofit or volunteering for them. So I have a particular fondness for nonprofits. And I have to give credit to our colleague, Matt Hug, for introducing me to you. Matt was on here previously to talk about fundraising trends. You're an expert on what's called fiscal sponsorship. It's a rather obscure concept to many people. And so I'd like to ask you, when did you first hear about fiscal sponsorship? So my first introduction to fiscal sponsorship was sometime around 2011. I wasn't in the nonprofit world for the first 10 years of my working life. 
And I was actually coming from the technology world. And I was hired at a technology startup that also happened to be a nonprofit. That was a teacher training organization. And they were under fiscal sponsorship. And I had no idea what that was or what that meant. It didn't come up in the interviews or anything. It wasn't any part of sort of... It was a temporary situation. And that sort of was my first experience was sort of seeing how that worked and what didn't work and how to get them out of it, to be honest. Wow. How to get them out of the fiscal sponsorship. Yeah. That's an interesting story, which we won't go into here, but maybe afterwards, or maybe it'll come up in our further conversation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to know, of course, that everybody starts somewhere and it was foreign to you back then. And it was foreign to me until Matt Hogg mentioned it to me. I had no clue what it was. And I think that's a good taking off point for the fact that I think most of our listeners may not be familiar with what a fiscal sponsorship is. I'm wondering if you could tell us, Andrew, a little bit more about that and perhaps give us a few examples of who some fiscal sponsors are and what they do and who they're serving. Yeah, sure. No, it's definitely a niche area. In, even within nonprofit, there's many people who worked in nonprofit for 20 or 30 years who never run into this and never come across it and don't even know about it. So your listeners should not feel bad if they've never heard of this. Okay. <laughs> what it is essentially, and it's sort of a blanket term for a bunch of different things, but it's essentially a relationship between an existing nonprofit, usually a 501c3 nonprofit, which is sort of the standard nonprofit that most people think of when they hear the term nonprofit, and another entity that doesn't have the tax-exempt status from the IRS, it's not a 501c3, but is doing some sort of charitable work or charitable project and wants to have the benefits of being a charity of a nonprofit, but doesn't necessarily want to go through the full process of registering their own entity and going through the state and going through the IRS and all the compliance and regulatory work that comes with being a nonprofit. Most people who start a nonprofit don't realize that it's like running a small business. It is running a small business, but just with more red tape, more things that you have to file, more agencies that you're accountable to. And on top of that, if you think about the people who want to start nonprofits in general, this isn't everybody, but they're not doing it because they want to run payroll twice a week or because they want to file a tax return with the IRS at the end of the year, right? They're doing it because they want to change the world. They want to make a difference in their community or, or somewhere in the world. And so when I talk about fiscal sponsorship with people who have never heard of it, I tell them that it's sort of a way to start a charitable project without having to take on all of that. And what it is, it's a legal relationship between that new thing or that it could be an existing thing that doesn't have its own tax status with a nonprofit. And in the best cases, that existing nonprofit essentially takes on all of the back office work and the liability and HR and the insurance and the finance and accounting. And the project itself is left with sort of two main functions, which is the work, the service, and the fundraising for that work. I think it's a wonderful tool. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously biased. Like this is the work I do day in and day out. But this is a wonderful tool for a lot of people who want to start new things or who have charitable projects, even for businesses that want to do a charitable segment to their work. There's a lot of ways and different sort of use cases for fiscal sponsorship. There's also a lot of different variations of it. So um, it gets complicated really fast. I'm going to try to sort of keep it to the level that is helpful for people. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that is like a basic idea of one of the most common types of fiscal sponsorship. I mean, you asked about sort of who does it and who are they serving? 
again, there's a multi-level answer for this, but there's organizations that are around the country that their mission is to be a fiscal sponsor. So there are organizations that either their entire mission or a big part of their mission is just to sort of be this place where other people can go and have their projects live. And as you might imagine, those kinds of organizations get really good at the accounting and the finance and they have great insurance and they have lawyers and they have you know, HR people and they have payroll and they have all those things. That's what their job is to do those things really well and help the people that are coming to them execute on their visions and succeed in their mission. There's also other types of organizations that do fiscal sponsorship. So a lot of organizations in the sort of legal regulatory world, there's really no restriction on nonprofits that can become fiscal sponsored. Any nonprofit that's doing any kind of work that you're familiar with in your communities can literally say tomorrow, hey, we want to be a fiscal sponsor. And someone might come to them and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this X, Y, and Z project. It aligns with your broader mission. Will you be my fiscal sponsor? And there's nothing holding them back from doing that. So that happens a lot. For someone like me, it's kind of a scary thing because there's no box they need to check. There's no form they need to fill out. There's no letter they need to send. There's no accreditation they need. They can just sort of do it and with a handshake. I would never recommend that. And I see that's sort of not the way to do it. But that happens a lot. Well, this is very interesting. And I think you did a great job of simplifying it. And I realize you didn't get into all the complexity. It leads me to ask you a couple of follow-up questions, Andrew. One would be, if I'm a fiscal sponsor, so I'm a nonprofit, do I tend to want to get involved with projects that align with what my cause is, or could that be irrelevant? And the second one, do any of these projects themselves end up becoming nonprofits? Yeah, so you've hit on two important points. So the first one is that, yes, the projects should always be, and that's sort of like the language and terminology that is sort of standard is the project is the entity that's under fiscal sponsorship, right? And then the sponsor is the organization that's providing fiscal sponsorship. So you heard me say sponsor and project. So one of the key important things that people like the IRS will look for if you do start to do this is that you are taking out projects that are aligned to your mission. So that is sort of a non-negotiable thing. And if you're a environmental organization, you don't want to start picking up pet organizations, right? <laughs> or um, you know, or children's advocacy organizations or things like that. Right. So you want to keep it to the mission. And then to your second question about, you know, do they ever become their own nonprofit? And the answer is yes. So that is how I, and we talked about this a little bit, my introduction to fiscal sponsorship, I was at this organization and they said, okay, we're applying for our own 501c3 status from the IRS. And as soon as we get that letter, we're going to separate. Let's figure out how to do this. And so this was an organization that was around for only a handful of years. So they were still sort of in the startup kind of phase. But now I work with clients all the time and we haven't, you know, we can talk about that later on. But about half my business is working with fiscally sponsored projects. And a big part of that work is about projects that are getting to a point where they have the size and the scale and they're raising enough money and they have the staff where they're thinking about, okay, can we take on our own infrastructure? Can we build our own infrastructure? Can we handle all this? You know, will it make sense to go out on our own? And so, yes, that does happen. And I think I left out a point a little while back. I just wanted to put in here and the relationship between the sponsor and the project. The sponsor is often taking on a lot of this work that we talked about. In exchange for that, they usually charge a fee of some kind or there's a cost to it to help 
make sure the sponsor is covering their costs. And so if you could think about like a 10% fee, let's say, which is often standard in different types of fiscal sponsorship, if you're a $100,000 organization and you're paying your sponsor $10,000, you're probably getting a lot for that. If you're a $10 million organization and you're paying your sponsor a million dollars, you may be not getting as good a deal as you were, right? (laughs) It's an interesting way of looking at it. By the way, when you're talking about this, Andrew, it reminds me of a business whose name I don't remember, and it's just as well. They advertise in the Philadelphia area where I'm at, but they may be national. They could even be international. I don't know if what they do is also being replicated by other companies, but I'm sure it is. But it's in the for-profit world, and they advertise themselves as basically your accounting team. We'll do all your accounting work for you. If you're a small business or medium size, you can offload it to us. And so this sort of reminds me a little bit of that, except they're just doing accounting. And this sounds like there's a whole lot more. About how many fiscal sponsors would you guess exist around the United States, Andrew? That's another interesting question. In terms of organizations that do this as their mission or a substantial part of their mission, I would say probably in the range of four to 500. Mm. But I sort of break them out into two different spectrums. One is the sort of geographic spectrum. So some are very focused on a city or a region or county, a state, and some work with projects all over the country or even internationally. And then the other side is sort of the service area focus. So some are very focused on environmental issues. Some are very focused on health issues. And others are totally agnostic to the service. And they have a very broad mission. And so they are trying to help people do lots of different things. You've got about between three and 500 of those. But as I mentioned, there's sort of this secondary group that has not identified themselves as fiscal sponsors. And they may be doing having a project here, a project there. These are the ones that I say are doing it as like a side gig. It's not their main mission. They don't really promote it. They don't really talk about it. They may not even call it fiscal sponsorship. And we don't have any records, any data on this, but I would say there's probably at least 10 of those for every one that we know about. So probably upwards of 5,000 of those, if not more. That's very interesting. These organizations who are actually doing fiscal sponsorship will say full time, okay? Mm-hmm. Are any of these entities ones you can mention to us? Yeah, for sure. I always think of some of the the largest ones. I mean, there's one in San Francisco called Tides. The Tides? Um, t- just Tides. Tide. Yeah, Tides. There's one here in LA called Community Partners. There's another one in San Francisco that I know well called Social Good Fund. And there's also a wonderful directory of fiscal sponsor organizations. This is of interest to anyone who's listening. It's fiscalsponsordirectory.org. The folks actually at a fiscal sponsor organization called the San Francisco Study Center have been running this for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And they do a really good job of reaching out to people, gathering data, keeping it updated. So it's a great place for people who are looking for a fiscal sponsor to go to find options to pursue. That sounds like a great resource. I'm wondering, when you are hired, are you hired by the project people or are you hired by the sponsor? When I started my business now about eight years ago, my idea was to be 100% focused on the project. That was where I came from. I had worked the organization we talked about and then I went and worked at another organization that was under fiscal sponsorship. And this time, part of the reason they hired me was that I had experience 
separating from a sponsor. And I did that again. So I had done that twice, which doesn't sound like a lot, but most people never do it once. (laughs) And I had gotten this very interesting, what I think is a very interesting perspective because I had been in two totally different situations with totally different sponsors and totally different setups. And I'd sort of seen this like full landscape of what fiscal sponsorship is, which most people never get. Even if they run into it once, they see sort of like what I think of like through a keyhole, they see sort of their experience and that's it. Yeah. And I had seen this wider activity and realized a few things. Realized that I had some pretty unique experience. Realized there wasn't a lot of help and support for at that time projects going through process or trying to decide like, is it the right thing for us to do to separate out from our sponsor and go out on our own and take on all this extra responsibility? And then how do we do that? And I just learned by doing, and it's certainly possible still to do that. But I thought, why not me? Why can't I help people take my experience and learn, continue learning and help others? And so I started out with a focus on the project. Get back to your question. And as I started to do the work, I realized all those same things applied to the sponsors themselves. There wasn't a lot of help out there. There weren't resources for them. There wasn't support for them. And for organizations that are doing it, like you said, full-time, it's a very particular, specific thing. There's one book written about it, which has been around for, I don't know, 20 years or 30 years now. It's like the Bible of fiscal sponsorship. It's a wonderful book. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's more, there's a lot more to it, obviously, that you can get into one book. So as I did that, as I started talking to sponsors, you know, I realized, oh, maybe I can help them as well. And so at this point, about 50% of my work is with sponsors and 50% of my work is with projects. Very interesting that it's divided like that. Now, as you know, Andrew, we have a global audience, a global Mm -hmm. reach. And I'm wondering if there are either fiscal sponsors outside of the United States or something that you actually alluded to already, fiscal sponsors within the United States who provide services that might benefit those businesses, those projects that are outside of the U.S. Can you talk just a little bit about that, please? I'll take them in reverse because the one I know more about is definitely sponsors in America that have projects that may be based in other parts of the world that are doing work in other parts of the world, but they want to access the U.S. donor base. One of the main components of being a nonprofit is the ability to raise money where your donors are able to deduct it from their taxes, right? the tax deductibility of those donations. You can imagine if you're you know, doing a project in Central America or in Africa somewhere and you don't have any connection to the US and you come here and you want to raise money, people might think it's a wonderful thing, but they don't necessarily donate because maybe there's not the tax deductibility. There's a lot more due diligence that needs to happen if there's things happening in foreign places and you, you know, you need to understand sort of where that money is going, how it's being used, all those kinds of things, right? So if you were to run one of those projects and come and get a fiscal sponsor in the US, now you have a US base of operations. You have an organization that's been vetted many times over that you know is going to, as a donor, that you know is going to steward the funds that you're donating and make sure that they're being spent in the right way. There are actually fiscal sponsors that specialize in working with projects in different parts of the world. Interesting. Yeah. So there's an organization called Give to Asia, Give the number two Asia, which just they have offices in I think like 15 or 20 countries in Asia. And so they have people on the ground. And they also obviously have offices here and they just do that, right? And there's organizations that do that in Europe and Africa. And there's plenty of organizations that don't focus on that 100%, but also have projects that are working in other parts of the world and do all of the same 
due diligence and all the same background work that needs to be done. So is it more likely then that we have fiscal sponsors in the United States working with projects outside the United States than there might be fiscal sponsors in other parts of the world? The fiscal sponsor concept, as far as I know, was sort of created here based around what's written into the tax code, the IRS level. So every country has their own tax code. Every country has their own rules as it relates to nonprofits. I was talking with a colleague of mine who works at an organization called Open Collective, which is a fiscal sponsor that works with people all over the world. And they've done research into fiscal sponsor-like organizations in other countries and have found that in certain parts of the world, there are organizations that we would look at and say, oh, they're a fiscal sponsor. There's a couple in Canada. There's a couple in Australia. I think they've mainly looked sort of in the English-speaking world in the UK. And that's sort of the extent of my knowledge is doing some research into those organizations and understanding. Because if you could think about it this way, right? If you want to access the donor base of Great Britain, you would need to go to a fiscal sponsor there, right? If you want to do work with the Canadian donors, then you need to go to a fiscal sponsor there. And so there's sort of like a, it's a very interesting like two-way street. There hasn't become this global organization that can go both ways. But I think at some point, we will get there. I mean, I know Open Collective is, is working on you know things like that to be able to serve more people in more countries, whether it's doing the fundraising or doing the work and being able to do that in as many places as possible. Yeah. And again, I appreciate your explaining that. And I hate to use this word because it's overused and I may be using it inappropriately, but it sounds like a synergistic relationship. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, as you may know, with looking forward, before we look into the future, and even before we're talking about right now, we like to look a little bit backwards. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you can give us sort of a snapshot look at how this way of doing business, this fiscal sponsorship has evolved over the last couple, three decades. You mentioned a book that was written maybe two, three decades mm -hmm. ago. How's it evolved to where it's come to today? We'll get into COVID soon too. And has the business become more competitive over the last 20 years? Or is it still this niche that only if relatively few organizations, so to speak, are involved with? A lot of what I know about the history does come from this book. And I, I will put it here and we can certainly put a link to it wherever. Fiscal sponsorship, six ways to do it right. We'll also yes. make sure that everybody's aware of that later. Yes, this is the third edition. The first edition was written, third edition also, but the first edition was written by a wonderful attorney named Greg Colvin, who based in San Francisco is now retired, but he is sort of the godfather of fiscal sponsorship. He's done a lot of the work to him and his firm and now sort of others have taken up that mantle to formalize it and define it and really make it more legitimate in the world. To my knowledge, the sort of beginnings of this come in the 1960s. There was an organization that is now called Third Sector New England based in Boston, which started doing this. And it's not totally clear sort of how and why they did, but sort of the first ones that did it that we know of. It's one of these things where, you know, I was talking about the IRS. It's not specifically written into the tax code. So there's a whole section of the tax code that's tax exempt organizations, what we call nonprofits. This is one of these things that's sort of allowable. And the IRS has come out and said that many times that it's legal and it's allowable and it's approved and it's not written in there. Basically, the tax code 
doesn't say you can't do it, so you can do it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so someone decided to start doing this and it's grown obviously since then. I think it's really had a lot of growth in the last 20 or 25 years. Mm. Now there's more organizations doing it than ever. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly touch on the COVID aspect of this in a minute. San Francisco became a hotbed of this in the 80s and a number of community foundations, which might be something that some of your listeners are familiar with, which are nonprofits usually based in different communities that often they serve as sort of a vehicle for donors who need help sort of figuring out how to best deploy their funds, how to make the most impact. They go to a community foundation and they give their money to the community foundation. That money can get pooled with other people and they can give larger grants out to organizations. Community foundations, as you might imagine, seems like a good place to also maybe do some fiscal sponsorship, right? So if you're someone who's looking to start a nonprofit or even in some cases a funder who says, I have this money and I think we really need to do this thing and no one else seems to be doing it, can we just start doing that here? And so a lot of fiscal sponsorship still happens at community foundations. There were a number of places where it got a little bit too big for the community foundations and they actually split them off. And so that's how they became some of what are now the largest tides and community partners. A lot of those started as part of community foundations. And so it's sort of an interesting history to go through. Like I said, in the last 20 or 25 years, I think there's been a lot of growth. A lot more organizations are coming on board. A lot of interesting new innovations in fiscal sponsorship. The six ways to do it right book is the six ways are essentially six models what we call the models of fiscal sponsorship, which are sort of different approaches to it or different relationships between the project and the sponsor. And that's where you start to get into some of the real nitty gritty. People who are doing interesting things and trying different things and trying to move it forward. So it's grown a lot. And I, we're actually, I'm working with some folks who are leading a field scan of the fiscal sponsorship sector. So we're hoping this year to get some better data of what does it look like? How many organizations are there? What are they doing? How are they doing it? And in terms of competition, I think that was one of the parts, the last yes. parts of it. Many of these organizations that do this full time, they have a, a specific area that they focus on, whether it's a location or a type of service. And even the ones that don't have that, and there's certainly a number of those that do work with anybody, anywhere, for anything, they all sort of realize there's plenty of need out there. We're not going to run out of people that need help and people that want to help them. I think that's one of the big differences you see with. And not always, but generally in, in nonprofit versus for-profit, right? No one's talking about their market share of the fiscal right. sponsorship sector because there's an infinite need as far as we know. And everyone knows the, the better they get at this, the more they can do, the better. It's not to the detriment of any other organization. Exactly. One thing that comes to my mind here, mm-hmm. we're talking about these projects that are supported by nonprofits. You mentioned foundations had given birth to some of the stuff. Might be a good time to just briefly have you mention what might be some examples of some projects that you're aware of that are benefiting mankind in some way or will. Yeah, sure. One of the really great things about my job is I get to work with people all over the place who are doing all different kinds of work. Without necessarily naming names, I can tell you about some of these projects. There's a great one in uh, Missoula, Montana that is helping to settle refugees in Montana. So people coming from Afghanistan or other parts of Africa or um, Middle East that are refugees that coming to a place where maybe there's typically not people of their community, of their background that they need help. And so helping settle those groups. 
There's organizations here in California doing amazing healthcare innovation work, right? Working with different populations of people to help improve their health and do lots of different trainings and, and sort of experiment with different things because they're under fiscal sponsorship. And they have a little bit more flexibility in what they're doing and how they do it because they don't have a whole back office that they need to run. And so some organizations are going to fiscal sponsorship and stay there forever. And some we talked about leave at some point, but it's a really wonderful way to start something, create something new without a lot of the work that needs to go into starting a new nonprofit, like we've talked about. So, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> there's fiscally sponsored projects there. We, I was just working with someone. This is a little bit meta. They have a fiscally sponsored project that is essentially creating a movement for people who work in the fundraising area of nonprofit actually going out and helping to raise that money that are mostly people of color, LGBTQ community, providing a place for them to commune and to share and to learn from each other and help sort of move the sector forward and you know really bring to light some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion issues that are certainly prevalent now um, in all parts of the country and all aspects of our lives. So helping to bring that to the fundraising area, which Traditionally, has been a white sort of dominated area and really helping to move that forward. That sounds great hearing about some specific examples. And I would imagine the directory probably would help people find out more about all these different projects. Well, that's it for part one of our conversation with Andrew Schulman. I would highly recommend that you join us next week for part two of this two-part series. By the way, that will be our hundredth episode. To hear other looking forward episodes, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. And while you're at it, why not tell a family member or a friend about this episode or any of our other nearly 100 Looking Forward episodes? Any one of them will not only point you in the direction of a potential global opportunity, it will also make for a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.